Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, once again, is Three Moves Ahead founder and my co-panelist, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It is great to be here on a cold Monday night. <laughs> and we also welcome back, after far too long an absence, our friend and Polygon reviewer, Danielle Riendo. Danielle, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm very, very glad to be here. And, and I, uh, you know, I'm sorry to make you jealous, Troy, but it's actually really beautiful here in San Francisco right now. It's sunny and warm. It's real nice. Yeah, I'll be in Miami tomorrow. Okay. But, uh... Yeah. <laughs> well, we can always compare what our rent is, and then I think yeah. we'll probably feel better than Danielle once yes. again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's valid. Uh, so today we're here to talk about a tactical RPG, Banner Saga, uh, which Danielle re reviewed for Polygon. It's a Kickstarter project that's re attracted quite a bit of uh, interest, in particular due to its unique and classic Disney-inspired art style. Uh, the Banner Saga covers... Uh, the journey of a couple disparate groups facing a, an invasion from sort of drow-like creatures in a Norse-inspired fantasy world. And what's been really interesting is while the game has been quite well received, it also seems to really divide opinions quite strongly on a few key issues. And so I just, you know, to start us out, Danielle, maybe you could talk us through a little bit how Banner Saga works and what your big pros and cons were for the game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, I mean, it's it's basically a, a fairly, in my opinion, tightly designed strategy game. Not the deepest dive in the world, I think, but uh, satisfying enough for me. Uh, Turn-based strategy game, you typically have six fighters on a field. It's sort of a grid-based field. Uh, and you each, you know, each of your warriors has their period of attack and movement uh, all in one turn, which is nice and interesting. Um, and there is an entire currency of sort of willpower that you get. Basically, it's sort of tied into the rest of the game. If you make good decisions, if you, if you do well in the rest of the game, you will have more willpower in battle. Uh, and these are used for special moves uh, for each of your fighters. Um, and the other sort of main draw to it is that you can attack an enemy's shield or their direct health. And it's sort of, depending on who you're fighting, it, it matters more whether you attack their shield or not. So the dredge, who are the sort of mechanical enemies that are your main uh, foes throughout the game, you always need to kind of attack their shields first and then go after their health. So there's, there's, there aren't too many moving pieces here, but the pieces that are there uh, I thought were pretty well put together in terms of the actual gameplay. Um, and if we're talking pluses and minuses, I really sort of loved the world. I really loved sort of the mythology that Stoic, uh, the developer, was building here with this sort of fantasy, Norse-inspired world, this, this beautiful world that might be ending. There's this whole uh, question of whether or not the apocalypse is happening while you're sort of fighting this enemy, which I thought was very interesting and dramatic and fun and, and fit in with this whole Viking uh, atmosphere. And the art, of course, is obscenely gorgeous. Uh, it's the animation is just jaw-dropping and, and beautiful. And I found the gameplay really engaging. I, I enjoyed sort of the strategy aspect. I enjoyed that it was not something that, you know, myself, I'm not necessarily a strategy gamer. So, you know, here I am on a strategy game podcast. But um, I, you know, I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed that there were not too many um, 
too many moving pieces, basically. Uh, and I felt very much in control of my fighting force, and I felt very much in control of everything I was doing on the battlefield, which I don't always feel as someone who isn't necessarily as well-versed in a strategy game. And I also really liked that there were some strong female characters in the game, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. You know, I, I kind of looked at this, and I, and I saw the opening cutscene and, and the sort of the first few first hour or two of gameplay, uh, and I was kind of like, okay, we're in a sort of hyper-masculine Viking world, I get it, I'm, I'm fine with it and everything, but I was pleasantly surprised by the few but well-written sort of female characters. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my take <laughs> on the game. To that point, I, I think one of, one of the things that, yeah, definitely first strikes you about the Banner Saga is this, this hyper-masculine uh, Norse world where it's all beefy, blonde-looking yeah. dudes uh, <laughs> going at each other with axes. And the women tend to be archers, and they tend also not to be, there tend to be not that many in the fighting line. There aren't that many. Uh, they, they, they do not occupy the same place uh, in the society. What yeah. I like about what Banner, the way Banner Saga handles that, though, is it's not unaware of this. It's it's not right. a fantasy universe that pretends it doesn't have a stance toward gender or, or just like elides the issue entirely. Mm-hmm. It absolutely confronts the fact that hey, this in this sort of society, women don't get to fill many different types of roles. They're definitely they're definitely they operate within certain you know prescribed boundaries, yeah. and. There's an exchange early uh, when you're when you're talking to uh, w- when you're following the human caravan, as it mm-hmm. were, as they try to flee the uh, the rise of the dredge. When you talk to um, the the widow of, of your fallen chieftain, and the question is, should she take over? She's been sort of you know been the advisor to the ruler for a while. She's she's been sort of the power behind the throne in some ways. Should she just lead? Uh, because she's, yeah. you know, more experienced at it. And they have an entire exchange about whether this is a good idea. And she's really adamant that it is not. And what she says I really loved is maybe, you know, she basically says maybe it would work for us in our group. But what about when we go out into the wider world? When we have to meet another convoy for the first time, talk to another town for the first time, negotiate for the first time. What happens yeah. then? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that they, I don't know, it felt that, that that issue was handled so much more intelligently than it is in almost any other game that's in a sort of hyper-masculine universe, basically. And there's another exchange with that character about literally what it means to be a strong woman. And this was also handled, I thought, incredibly well. I mean, she is an archer, which I know there's some baggage there. <laughs> of course, uh, but she is a character who is on your in your fighting force, which I, I thought was a positive, and a character I used often. I thought she was um, pretty great in terms of <laughs> how I used her during actual gameplay. And she's complicated, and she's interesting, and they have this exchange about being a strong woman. Does that mean never having emotions? Does that mean never, you know, being able to be seen as quote-unquote weak? And it it was a very small moment in the game, and it's not very far in. I don't feel like that's a tremendous story spoiler or anything. But it was just, it, it was just a really, it just really struck me as something that was like, okay, somebody who's thought about this, who maybe has read a book <laughs> about this, uh, is behind this game, or is writing this game. And I really, really appreciated that quite a bit. Turning to the combat system, though, for a second, Troy, I find myself having kind of a love-hate relationship with how this <laughs> game handles combat, and particularly turn order. And I kind of want to hear what you have to say about that. 
Well, in general, I'm a, I'm a, I like the simplicity of the system. I like the idea that you take down armor or you take down health. And sometimes you, I mean, you think you always want to take down health, but you can't waste a deflected hit, so you're better off beating down the eye's armor and helping somebody else and get the hit, like your archers, who are generally quite weak and useless um, in a straight-up fight, but can do quite a bit of damage from far away if you've got enough armor down and they yeah. can do like seven ten damage easy with enough armor knocked down which is great uh so it's all about balancing that but the turn order thing really does bug me <laughs> that yeah. they insist on always swapping turns between you guys your guys and the enemy your guys and the enemy even if there are six of you and two of them you're always swapping turns back and forth so your guys are taking hit after hit after hit as they're spread out um, and you can't just gang up easily, especially with the giants who move very slowly and take up a lot of space. Yeah. You know, just you can real traffic jams there, which is great. <laughs> I mean, that makes the map much more interesting. The fact that you do have these huge bulky things moving slowly, doing a lot of damage, taking a lot of taking a lot of hits, but just getting them in place is a bit of a problem. But that always swapping back and forth means that you're taking hit after hit after hit and what should be you know some mop-up operation becomes no sir you guys are going to be in risk of getting injured and being out of battle for a few days however when there's only one so when, when there are, even there's, if there's one person left oh then turns are out the window then everybody just gangs up that last guy but if it's six versus three or six versus two you keep swapping back and forth. That just seems wrong to me. I'm not sure why that seems wrong. I'm not sure what the justice is there. I'm not sure it's a question of fairness or what. It just it just bothers me deep in my core. That said, I do love uh, the system. I love the, um, the special powers. I like the question of the positioning. How do you... Which, which units do you take out first? Um, the whole ranged versus melee uh, problem. Um, I wish that I could see the map before I chose my army sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like there was a battle, I think, in Chapter 3 or Chapter 4 where you're in a tower or something and part of the yep. floor is broken so you can't maneuver all the way. If I'd known that, I might have taken, you know, some smaller people. Yeah. <laughs> They're not just my bulky army of giants who just stand there and get beaten by slingers because they can't negotiate the narrow paths all that well. So it'd be nice if I could see the map before I, because I'm a, I'm a war leader, right? I should know what the field of battle looks like before I choose who's fighting on it. Because um, generally I found myself defaulting to the same warriors over and over again. Um, there's really no reason to go down from a level three guy, even if he's hurt a little bit, to a level one guy. Um, unless, you know, the map calls for it, which you can't see beforehand. And so that's problematic for me. But in general, I love, the, I love the simplicity and clarity of it. I love the animations. Uh, I loved how clearly the information was transmitted. Uh, it's an excellent interface. It was never any confusion over what exactly was happening at any time. Um, sometimes the uh, dredge would unleash a power that I had no idea what exactly it was, so it might be nice if I knew what they were doing, but I knew what the results of my attacks were and where they were coming from. Yeah. To the point about why the turn order thing feels so 
annoying, controversial. Uh, I, I think part of it is sort of, the, I get a sense of injustice, certainly when I'm playing. And it's certainly, <laughs> it's, it's dangerous to bring too keen a sense of what is just to a, to a battle game. Uh, but nevertheless, like, I was fighting a battle where I'd actually played very conservatively. Uh, so in most encounters, you have a choice in how you're going to approach a given battle. Because the conceit is that you're sort of guiding this entire caravan along that what you'll control in battle on this tiny little like a uh, tabletop war game thing, RPG grid, is the named characters, the heroes. But they're part of a larger battle filled with unnamed characters that you just sort of keep a tally of how many fighters does your group have? How many giants does your group have? And in each battle, you kind of choose how you want to engage. So if you're charging in with your heroes, they're going to fight a tougher battle, but it's going to be easier on your troops. If you chicken out a little bit and... <laughs> sort of stay behind the lines and uh, let your troops form a shield wall, then they'll take the brunt of the fighting and you'll have an easier battle. Uh, so it depends on what you want to do. What was kind of annoying, though, is frequently the easier battle, my guys were still just getting wrecked because the way it was easier is that I had my full party of like six dudes and they had like two or three and one of them dropped right away. So now it was just two guys, two ranged guys who turn after turn are just sort of plinking down my guys. And my troops, because they all move in sequence, can't move forward fast enough to cut them down. So these units where if this were if this were a full full fight, these guys wouldn't be able to do anywhere near that much damage uh, by themselves. But yeah. what you end up happening is as you cut down the enemy, the remainder get this weird like multiplicative effect on their efficiency against you that can really screw things up in particular because most battles after you win them give you the option of taking on a second wave for fun and profit but the thing <laughs> is because of the way this is managed during the mop-up phase your guys have taken a freaking beating and there's a lot of times where you know it, it, it seems like it should have been easy you should be able to move on to the mop-up phase you should be able to take on that second wave but instead because of this turn order thing somehow two low-level dudes have just mauled your entire army in a way that a larger group never can and that just feels weird yeah, I, I did that mop-up thing once. I mean, they kind of seduce you with it. Oh, you've routed the enemy army, and there are some stragglers. <laughs> Do you want to hunt them down? Sure, I've played enough ancient battle games. I know what a route looks like. You're going to take down the stragglers. I did not know it would take me to another battle map, and that I would have, you know, one injured princeling, a bleeding archer, and a, and a viking at half power trying to take on a three dredge like oh crap i ended up winning it but taking a lot more damage doing it um so that would so i now i don't hunt anybody down i'm a very generous victor <laughs> yeah i almost feel like the pillage mode would have made sense for when whichever army is losing has a third of the yes. number of the other or some, yeah. something along those lines you know it's i'm, I'm not <laughs> i'm pulling that number you know out of thin air but it almost seems as if that would have solved that issue pretty easily. Yeah, like, just a third would make sense, because if, if you've got six guys and you've cut them down to two, well, yeah, that's that that seems about the point where these guys should just be running for running for their lives and your dudes yeah. should be sort of tearing them down. That's That seems that seems fine. But waiting until it's the last one left, um, it's just... 
And it's just kind of silly because at that point it doesn't even matter. You don't even need the the turn advantage because your guys have like converged on this one person, so they're not going anywhere anywhere anyway. So yeah, I, I really think the turn order thing distorts some things and. Well, to that second wave point, it also has a negative interaction with, I think, the way combat is handled, um, which is, there's something I really like about the way it handles health, armor, and hitting power. Mm-hmm. It ties them all together. Yep. And so the healthier character is, the more damage they can do, the more, the, the more potential damage they can do. Uh, the more armored they are, uh, the harder it is for other characters to damage them. If if your character's strength is lower than their armor, there's a chance that your, your blow will just deflect off. Uh, there's there's a lot of cool little decisions about do you invest in taking down the armor or do you try to like take a little chunk out of their health, even though it's not a sure thing, just so they don't hit so damn hard and bring you down. Yeah. I like that. The problem is, because of the fact that your guys get chewed up during that sort of mopping up phase... Uh, by the time a second wave shows up, you're insane if you try to fight that <laughs> because your guys, having taken a bunch of like little two and three point hits or whatever, they are no longer capable of doing the kind of damage they need to do to win any kind of battle. Uh, the, the the disparity now is a half wounded warrior uh, is actually less than half as effective. Uh, in in battle, as he is when he's in mm. full health, there it kind of there there's a quick snowball when somebody starts taking blows to their health, and that's that that leaves you in kind of a dangerous place. And since this game is kind of permadeathy, yeah. <laughs> uh, then you really you know maybe if the stakes were a little bit lower, this wouldn't piss me off so much. But man, when it, when it <laughs> says if someone dies in this battle, they die for real, and then they just die because of what I consider bullshit. Then we got a big problem, Banner Saga. (laughs) Fortunately, it takes you a while to get to that point where they say, okay, now you fall down, you're dead. Um, They give you a lot of practice runs. Well, you're just hurt for now. You're okay. Just take some damage and you're all right. Uh, But yeah, there are some... um, the battles are not aren't easy, which is I mean we're painting this as a strategy game, but really it's it's a it's an RPG adventure game that has a really nice strategy system in it. I mean, sure. yeah. it does have some other strategic calculations like you know buying supplies, when do you rest, just the adventure story stuff, similar to King of Dragon Pass, which I think is probably the best analogy, where events pop up in your caravan and you have to solve them, and these can track you and follow you throughout the course of the entire adventure, uh, just like in King of Dragon Pass, which has which is an adventure role-play strategy game. So it's not surprising that the strategy stuff is you know a little bit serving the power of narrative in places sure. uh, instead of serving the power of I want to be a general um, but there's what I really love about um, the strength energy, the strength shield thing, the health shield thing is how it makes you appreciate the virtues eventually once you figure them out of every single special ability your people have um, where do I want my guy who sunders to be? This guy's got a twirling, thrashing thing, so he can take out two people 
everyone around him can get damaged. But I've got to get him into the place to use that. Um, so do I waste a movement point here or do I not? Uh, the ones that just weaken strength. You want to have... Because you can't set up a 1-2 combo because there's always that stupid alternating turn in the middle. <laughs> you have to really plan your positioning a bit to get the most out of your soldiers. Um, so that opening deployment, which at first I kind of dismissed, you know, it's because all the grids are pretty much the same. You know, you're just standing on a flat piece of ground and you're charging forward. But then you start to, as your characters level up, as you promote them and increase their armor and increase their strength or increase their special ability, that deployment phase becomes kind of crucial. And it's not just the simple, okay, leave your archers in the back and your melee guys up front, because you're always going to have maybe at most two archers and a lot of melee people. Um, I can't, at least at least for the first half of the game, I can't see going archer heavy anywhere. So that deployment becomes kind of fun and interesting. Where can I send a guy forward to block the advance of the giant dredge who are kind of scary? Uh, can I get someone up to stop the slingers and poke them away? There's this planning that comes into play in this adventure game that I didn't quite expect. Um, it's a little more sophisticated than I'd anticipated. Yeah, Troy, and I actually really appreciated that about the game. I appreciated that every one of those little decisions, I was either punished for it or rewarded for it. It, it felt as if every single thing I did on the battlefield, and, and even sort of the decisions I made in the, in the more story-oriented sequences, absolutely impacted me and my success or my failure. And that was that's always something I really appreciate in a fairly well-designed game. Was it just me, or is this the most Game of Thrones game that's not Game of Thrones? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, in every way, basically. It totally was. Because, you, you know, you have... It is set... Because winter has come. The sun has never set. The that's sun is right. stuck there in the sky. It's all... It's, it's oppressive winter. There's this ancient evil... I guess not that ancient. The dredger. Remember it. Very... They're, the others. Yeah. It, it's yeah, all. they are. They're the people coming over the borders. Oh, I can't believe they're coming back. I thought you killed them all. Blah. <laughs> exactly. And you know, there's this prickish little king that you start to hate from the moment you see him. Yeah, um, And he's blonde and annoying and yeah, totally. And it does interrogate a little bit the idea of what these cultures are about. I mean, you and Rob talked about, you know, the place of women and that's yeah. certainly something quite obvious in the HBO series, if not so much uh, in the books, you know, what are the place of women in this medieval society. Uh, so there's, I like that, you know, one of them's called a witch, why is she yeah. called a witch? Well, she does things with fire. She's got to be a witch. And she fights. She's not a witch. What is she? Uh, so there's this whole weirdness of the culture there and their attitudes towards women who are out of their place. And I kind of like the way that that's interrogated and discussed. Um, it's, but this really is a Game of Thrones-inspired world, um, except for there not being any sex. Yeah, Exactly. Well, I'm only halfway through the game. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Well, I, um, I was going to say, obviously, without spoiling anything, there is a yeah. very important thing. The, the ending of the game is actually extremely important in terms of, of what it means for, for women in this society in certain ways okay. and, and other things. But, of course, no spoilers. I would not deprive yeah. you of the right. pleasure of that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting how because, like any sort of uh, fantasy that... 
has a degree of like political awareness or sophistication uh it becomes like very game of thronesy like it, sure. you know you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. like i don't think this is necessarily all that game of thrones except that there's sort of a thematic maturity that we right. just don't associate with fantasy and certainly don't associate with uh fantasy video games though that Maybe that's maybe that's actually unfair. Now that I think of some of the stuff you've come across in like Bioware games, that's you know what this is a rabbit hole. I'm not prepared to go down, so we're but just gonna we're just gonna also, back away slowly. It's also something we don't a maturity we don't see. I mean, one reason that I wanted to talk about this game um, is you know this is our winter of wargaming, and people are saying, well, I say, oh, this isn't a war game, uh, but really, it's one of the best war stories. Yes, uh, that yeah. I've seen written uh, for a computer game. I mean. Th- I've mentioned this before in the blog many, many years ago. One thing about war games is do, it's never about the sacrifice. There are, you don't have to deal with the veterans. You don't have to deal with anything beyond what's happening there on the table or the screen in front of you. Um, maybe you have to worry about whether that unit survived to the next scenario, but beyond that, it's really not about... War games are really about the fighting, but not about the war, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, this is a game that is about the war in like all of its guttiness. Um, and it's about uh, people, it's about one, one group of, one of the caverns is effectively, they're, they're, they're war refugees. They're being invaded and they're fleeing for their lives. Uh, trying to outrun trouble. The other group, they're kind of a relief caravan, but they're also a diplomatic mission. Uh, they're, they're, that's where the real soldiers are. So you have these two very different groups with very different composures facing very different problems in this very same war. Um, and you have you know, the sol- each of the soldiers have their own perspective on what happened in the past and before. You have the ethnic tensions between even the allies, the humans, uh, and the giants. Yeah. Uh, you have political issues creeping in there. But it's not heavy-handed. It's not you know saying this is a message. But this is a very true and empathetic picture of a war, of what not what it's like to be in a war, but this is a fantasy, it's a fantasy war story that feels like it could be a real fantasy novel war story. Yeah, and the core campaign action is structured around an army on the march. Yeah. And along the way you face all these dilemmas that just come up in sort of a choose-your-own-adventure style. And we can we can debate in a second how we feel that's implemented and plays out because uh, I was talking to Sean sure. Andrich at RabbitCon and he had some objections to the way to the way it works. But <laughs> uh, what I love though is that this is a game that hinges on not just whether or not you win the battle, but how well you keep cohesion between the battles. How do you handle the sort of problems that come up when you have a camp full of armed strangers? trying to you know function together how do you handle the you know ambiguous information from the scouts you know, like what do you what do you do in reaction to it uh when do you when can you afford to stop and rest and and you know stock up for food and when do you just need to press on and all these little you know the, these decisions that are the minutia of, of sort of managing an army on the move uh this is you know this is the rare game that brings those to the forefront and what it's like to have a bunch of other officers you've got to deal with and keep happy. And I really enjoy that that that's actually there, that this isn't just some, you know, okay, 
go here, fight another battle. And the only thing that matters is the outcome of, of the battle. I like yeah. that this is about, you know, what ha the action around the campfire is as important as the action in combat. Yeah, you can completely screw yourself over <laughs> if you make poor decisions or if you make snap decisions and or if you just try to role play as like, oh, yes, I'm just going to be a stoic badass who never listens to anyone else in my army or listens to my clans people when they have a problem, even if it sounds petty, you know, even if it's there's one where two women were fighting over a marriage proposal or something at, at some point. I don't remember. Again, this isn't really a big spoiler or anything. It's just sort of something that comes up. And there are easy ways to act as if everyone else's problems are very petty and you don't care about them. But if you treat things with the proper attention and the proper seriousness, you're rewarded for that. And, uh, yeah, that's another feature I thought was was really successful in this game. I mean... A recent game I think I could compare it to a bit is Expeditions Conquistador, which is a game from last year about you know Spanish conquistadors traipsing up and down uh, Mexico and Cuba, mm -hmm. you know, raping and pillaging, but actually you know, exploring and conquering peacefully for the church. Uh, right, but you right. have you have you know, tactical battles, but interspersed in there you have a lot of these types of conversations with your party members, each of whom have, you know, Expedition Conquistadors gives you, you learn about these people not through their talk, but they're given attributes. Like they're soldiers or they're hunters, and some of them are inquisitive, and some of them are zealous, and some of them are racist, and some of them are greedy, and you know these personality traits because they're there in front of you. This, this guy is a racist, and this guy is greedy, and this guy loves the Pope. Uh, these sorts of things. And how you interact with your party, even if, you know, I'm not a racist, but sometimes I want to keep the racist happy because he's my best gun. Yeah. yeah so totally. you're, talk, you're stuck with these, 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 these issues, these debates, how you can be a good leader, a good, not necessarily evil conquistador, but keep your party assembled and together. Uh, through these, and a lot of that comes through these adventure-style dialogues in Expeditions Conquistador. That part of uh, Banner Saga and that part of King of Dragon Pass, um, that is not easy stuff to design. <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, it's, it's easy to make it, you know, sound interesting and have great stories, but you have to actually have, have consequences. And part of me wants to go back to a few of my saves and try some things differently and eventually see if how varied the outcomes are. Because they tell you at the very beginning, hey, your decisions will affect the course of the game, you know, so be careful. And, you know, beyond losing one guy because he fell off a cliff because... I was greedy. I can't even talk about that. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> wait, did, wait, did we all send that guy over the cliff? I think we all sent that guy over the cliff. I think I, uh, he, yeah, something similar happened in mine. I think I tried to keep him up and something else horrible happened. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I should have told, but see, I Just want to go back and I see, and see but what happens yeah. if I told, but what happens if I told him to let go? Like, is that our scripted death? So, okay, so we're going to, okay, we're going to spoil something right now, because this is actually, okay. this is early in the game, and it's actually yeah. really key to understanding exactly why there might be some objections to the way this game handles consequence and choice. Yeah, so if uh, you if you don't want this, if you don't want this spoiled, skip ahead like five minutes. Per no. Perhaps Michael Hermes yeah. can put in a timestamp at this moment yeah. uh, to <laughs> let you know when you need to stop listening, when you need to resume. Yeah. 
really, if you if you want to keep a kind of good early high level warrior, maybe you want to listen. Uh, just between <laughs> you and me. So yeah, early in the game, you're sort of cruising along. And to this point, the game's been deceptively easy because you're still very much in tutorial mode. And you're just sort of moving along with your uh, Varl caravan, which is more the standing army and diplomatic mission. You're trying to escort this little this this little prince uh, to to go seal an alliance in the middle of this invasion. And you're going up a mountain, and you come under attack from a dredge. A uh, guy comes leaping off a cliff or something, jumps onto your giant treasure wagon, because you've been collecting taxes for months uh, around the kingdom. So you have this whole huge treasure wagon. And one of your main characters grabs the treasure wagon, is about to go plummeting off the cliff with his dredge on it, and holds it there. And it's keeping it balanced. And he's bracing himself on a tree uh, on the other side of the cliff. So you can sort of see where this is going, right? Like, what are the odds that tree is going to break? Uh, pretty damn good but it gives you three choices you can tell you can help the guy bring the cart back up you can tell him to let the cart go or you can try to knock the dredge off who's sort of overbalancing the cart what i did was i told him to let go my first instinct was oh this is a bad scene just just don't just let the cart go and the guy responds by saying this cart is my duty and so i was like well shit okay, fine, I'll try to help the guy and knock that dredge off. And the moment I do, it all goes, you know, it all goes to shit. The moment I do, the tree breaks, they all go plummeting over the edge. And that's that's how I lose one of the best fighters in my group, the first level three I had, because uh, I just mm-hmm. rested in camp and leveled him. And he was just gone. And he's dead. And that's the kind of stuff that can happen just in these choices. There's no battle. You can just yeah, make the wrong choice yep. and he's gone. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I made different choices, and he still died. What did you do? I, I chose to help him pull the thing up. Me too. <laughs> I chose to help him pull that damn thing up, and then the tree started to break, and then I'm given a second chance, do I tell him to let go or not? And I think that's the third thing. I got a few, quite a few chances to tell him to let go. Um, and I, I wonder if, if I help him, and then I tell him to let go, would that change things? See, I don't know how all these decision trees pan out or how things are different or not and i won't know unless i try every choice or look in the source code i guess um and look at the options um and that's one of the things with these sorts of games with these long story type games that promise you choices and options um that kind of a dramatic effect on the course of your game is I don't know if I'm able to save him because, you know, that treasure, that lost treasure then becomes a big plot point yeah. or subplot point. And maybe I'm supposed to lose the treasure and also lose, but does that mean I have to lose the guy too? Yes, no, because there's a death early on that's certainly scripted. Um, like in the very first battle, you lose mm-hmm. the, the king of the Viking giants. That's a scripted death. Uh, so the question is, I don't know from here, from this point, whether my choices are affecting the way the story is unfolding. I know there's only so many options. I know there's there are constraints. I understand this for technical reasons. This is not. I'm not saying that they should make me do everything, and everything should be possible. Yeah. But if it feels like it's a choice that I can affect and change the world for, and oh my God, I lost that guy, and it's my fault. If it's not my fault, 
If the game made that happen because the story says so, then I feel a lot less guilty about it. So my theory, and <laughs> uh, commenters who've played the game, by all means, let us know, uh, you know what, what you ended up doing. If you've seen something else happen, my theory, at least, is that this that that early choice is a trap of gold situation. That you're given you that really you have to say no twice. You have to say let the damn thing go, let it go. You really have to commit to watching that card hurtle over the edge and order that guy to let go of it no matter what because i think if because if it hesitate if anything else where you try to hedge and save that cart gets this guy killed and i think that's why there's sort of this um there's always the second choice like are you sure maybe you should tell him to let it go insist that he let it go maybe that's maybe that's the way to save him i don't know so, so it's an east of fable type thing <laughs> Maybe. I think it might be. Or or it's completely rigged and the guy dies no matter what. Uh, in which I case, went back and I reloaded a save after that happened because I had leveled him too. I had just leveled him as well. Um, and I, you know, I went back and I kept trying to pull him over and pull him over and, you know, help him out and help him out. And I, I did it slightly differently the second time, but, but the result was basically the same. And I sort of, you know, went back. And just continued with the game. I was I was trying to finish this for a review deadline, so I you know I kind of there were many times where and that's a completely different conversation. But when you have to play a game quickly, sort of how that oh, might yeah. affect the way you play, because <laughs> it certainly does affect the way you play uh, a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then I just kind of went on and was a little bit heartbroken about what had happened, and it was very annoyed with the game at the time, but later kind of came to respect it for forcing my hand. Hang on. I just want to make sure I'm not an idiot for missing something really obvious, but I have found a... Can you just save and reload? Can you set different save points and, like, go and revisit key decisions? Because that was one of the first times I was like, oh, wait, fuck that, I'm reloading. And I realized, (laughs) I don't think there was a save. Like, I didn't think... I think it just kind of forces you to go. It auto-saves at checkpoints. Yeah, Yeah, so you could go back to a previous one, but that probably means fighting a previous battle again. Uh, And I wasn't prepared to to do that. I sort of reloaded from... And I think I had... I didn't have to go back too, too far uh, to do this, but I just didn't want to do it a third time, basically. Okay, so I've been treating (laughs) the lack of save here options as, okay, just go with it in one journey. So that has been one thing that's probably affected my view. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's... uh, Huh. That's interesting. I maybe want to go and revisit revisit some things because I'll tell you, I've made some bad calls. Uh, <laughs> maybe a few bad calls. Maybe it regrets. Worked. I have sure. a few. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe at one point, despite the game telling me that Varl have a crazy intense fear of fire, I was just like, screw it. Those babies will get over their fear of fire. Yeah, and that didn't go well. <laughs> uh, so there, there's there's a lot of the, so the 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 objection though is from. I, I was hearing at Gamers with Jobs is that, and I, and I kind of agree with this. Do, do we want people can tune in right now, right? They can come back. Yeah, I think this is this Just end spoiler section. And then Rosebud was the sled. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> also, he was a ghost the whole time. Crazy, I'm right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, so people's criticism is yeah. So so people's criticism that I was hearing, and I kind of share it, is, is that it's just kind of a complete like you're given three choices, and it just feels totally random how those play out. It's not even like it's not even like there's necessary. 
the outcomes sometimes appear to come out of nowhere where, you know, it says, here's a dilemma and you offer a way of solving it. And then it's like, ah, but because of this previously unknown factor, it's all going to go to shit and characters are going to die and you're going to lose clansmen and fighters and haha. See, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I personally am going through this whole thing with arbitrary game design right now. And, and it seems like that complaint is that there are arbitrary decisions in this game. And that sucks because, you know, it's, it's the kind of game that typically gives you control over your choices. And that's where the satisfaction comes from and making good choices and making good decisions on the battlefield. Um, at least that's the appeal for me that, you know, the systems worked well together and created that sort of generally the feeling that I was in control of things. But I, I didn't mind that slight amount of randomness if that's what it is here. It, it pissed me off at the time, but taken as a whole, my entire experience with the game, I felt as if I was generally in control, although there were things that were out of my hands. And that you'll both see, perhaps something will happen later in the game that will also <laughs> happen along those lines without spoiling anything. Um, I don't mind a little bit of randomness in design in this nature, but right now I'm actually playing a uh, really, really punishing roguelike where it feels like every single thing <laughs> is arbitrary and every death that I uh, sort of go through, and there have been hundreds so far in my playthrough of the game, and I'm, I'm 45 or 46 hours in, and I just find myself, and Banner Saga was the last game I was on for review, and I'm on this other game for review now, which I won't, I won't say what it is. But I find myself wishing I could go back to the Banner Saga and just sort of be like, oh, this, this minor arbitrary thing that happened was just better, and it worked okay, and it, and it worked with the theme of, you know, sometimes terrible, horrible things happen at war, and you're not always in control of everything, even if you are this great general with, you know, good people skills and fantastic fighting skills. So I don't, I don't know if, if you agree with that, but it... I, 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 I didn't mind the arbitrariness side of it. I don't mind it so far uh, either that much, because I, I guess part of it is because I do like games like King of Dragon Pass, where, you know, you're told just enough to know, I'm, I, it's easy for me to like get into the fiction of, I'm a commander with all these, because both the people leading these parties are like unexpected leaders. Neither of them is supposed to be there. Yeah. Uh, so I can put myself in the position of, okay, they don't quite get, they don't know everything. They don't know all the details about who likes what, who's a, who fears what, what personalities are like, who's getting along, what the political implications are. There's a lot of stuff they're learning on the job. In fact, that's, you know, one of the early plot points when the young uh, young humans chose to pretty much lead the human party. Well, he's told by his giant friend, well, you know, you'll make it up as you go along. Um, and then, so I'm okay with, okay, oh, well, you know what? You should have been paying attention to that, to this other thing. Because I don't think the choices are not the, the choices they give you are certainly arbitrary there's like certain paths that fit you know certain types of stories they wanted to write so that's fine but i don't feel like they're necessarily hiding any information from me um i generally try to make the best decisions that the decisions that i would make if i was a giant <laughs> and if i was <laughs> yeah yeah because because I'm not. You both know I am not a giant. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, so I try to put myself in that position and try to think of what would be the best choice in this circumstance. And I don't think the game's necessarily hiding any information that I need to make these little ethical decisions. Like, oh, there's a drunk giant 
causing trouble in the camp and how do I deal with how do I deal with a drunk idiot so I think of all the drunk idiots that I've known and drunk idiots I have been and it all <laughs> comes down to that sort of thing are there other consequences that's my big problem I don't know if there are other consequences King of Dragon Pass it's clear what the consequences are going to be because you can see how much how many cattle you have and what happens if you don't have cattle the next season well you can't offer as many sacrifices and you can't go through as many rituals and then if you get raided your people start starving and you can't give stuff to your soldiers and your decisions will affect your cattle um, you, how many you give away, how many you get back and tribute, this sort of thing. All these adventure decisions play in very keenly into the larger strategic picture and the larger narrative picture that comes through the game. In Banner Saga, I'm still not quite clear how all of my little choices come to pay off or if they'll pay off. Um, a guy tells me off and I tell him off and now he wants to be my bodyguard or whatever. Do I trust him or not? So am I going to get assassinated? Probably not because I'm the main character. So I'm not sure if there's any risk here in taking him on or not. Well. <laughs> so I don't start. Yeah, anyway. So I, but, but, but this is the film I have going in. I don't know what the effects are. Uh, what the consequences are, and I can't know unless I play it, you know, more than once, I guess, uh, and take radically different choices to see how it plays out. But is the adventure part of the game worth that? I don't know. King of Dragon Pass, absolutely, because the map's always changing, and there's always new stuff and new compositions and different gods' paths to follow, etc. It's much more replayable. This, I like the game a lot. I don't think it's necessarily all that arbitrary, but my problem is... I want to know how I'm a, I'm a systems guy. I want to know how all this, how the system kind of fits, or at least have a promise that the system is there. Yeah, and I think actually a lot of that I, I wasn't quite seeing it until I was a, a bit further on in the game and things became a little bit more obvious to me. But a lot of those ethical decisions and smaller decisions that you make uh, actually pay off a bit more, and, it, and it's a bit fuzzy, and I couldn't quite tell you exactly, you know what the numbers were, but it does pay off in terms of the willpower system and the way that mm -hmm. your camp morale or sorry, your caravan morale right. impacts how much willpower that you have in battle. And so, you know, I, I don't feel yeah. like it's like a, a, a perfect system. There's probably a lot no, of, you know, of heat not. being left off <laughs> here, but I did, I did like how it, how it felt like everything sort of fit in together, even if the edges were a bit blurry, so to speak. And then there's the problem of, like, there's there's just a lot of things that just lend themselves to systems just terribly. And I think, sure. you know, the, the Banner Saga <laughs> yeah. is really dealing with those kinds of problems. And so, you know, it's like where I, I guess I become okay with sort of the arbitrariness in this design is that, I mean, a lot of things are kind of arbitrary. You can't really, like, you know, if you create a system, you can game it. Uh, but the, the sort of dilemmas that this game is trying to bring to life aren't so easily gamed. And if you did create more of a um, more of a system, you end up with sort of the Mass Effect problem of, you know, well, you know, have you charged up your badass meter enough to try the aggressive <laughs> approach and make it work? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, you end up with the the you know three-point morality system where it's you know monster decision monstrous decision neutral decision saintly decision yeah. where the, the where it just becomes a little too readable what the intent 
is and what the likely outcomes right. will be. And so I kind of like that this this gives it sort of a volatility that I appreciate, even though it kind of frustrates me. Like, lots, watching one of my dudes go, like, hurtling to his death, even though it wasn't in battle, and I didn't feel like I screwed up necessarily, that can be frustrating. But it's also something that, like, you said, you know, this is a story about war, and one of the things that comes up in war stories, war movies, is that, like, bad shit can happen at any time for no damn good reason. Yeah. And that's something the Banner Saga drives home again and again, is yeah. just when things are going really well, some completely random event can just gut, uh, you know, the core of your force, can just or just, you know, cost you someone that you really care about. And that's, just, that's how this world works. And I like... I, I like that sense of right. um, fragility to the to the situation, and it's something that I not I'm not used to encountering in uh, you know in strategy games and war games. Right. Yeah. There's almost a. Um, I keep thinking back to there's a there's an earlier extra credits. I'm familiar with the series that's on the Escapist now, or maybe Penny Arcade. Yes, I don't even know where it is anymore. Guy lectures you. Yes, cutscene guy uh, lectures you. Um, James Portnow, I believe, is the uh, sort of the main writer of that series. Could be wrong. Hopefully I'm right there. Uh, but there was an early episode of Extra Credits that talked about narrative design and writing good decisions in games and sort of that black and white morality system. And much of the conclusion was that what you need to do is present interesting choices and have real consequences. And that's something you can do when you're not working with you know, as much. And it and it seems to me, I don't know what the budget for this game was. I know it was a successful Kickstarter project, but this certainly was no AAA game with, you know, a, a team of hundreds of people who were able to work on every system. So the way I sort of grokked it was that these people took that advice, so to speak. They were mindful about trying to at least create interesting decisions and make it feel as if as though the consequences were important and that all of your decisions, at least all of your major decisions, actually impacted sort of what happens to you in the story and that they took that advice and they did what they could with what they had and that they were successful in that endeavor, in my opinion. Well, it's certainly a story I want to see play out. It's a game I want to finish, and I don't finish a whole lot of narrative-based games because... Honestly, I tell better stories in my head uh, most <laughs> yeah. of the time. Um, I like, you know. I'm sure but you do. This is, I, you, know, the, the, you would not believe the lies I told. I tell myself, which is kind of, which is kind of the point of lies, I guess. You're not supposed to believe them. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we have, um, but I, I do want to play this because they are. It is an interesting setting. The decisions, even if they are a little bit contrived, do fit into this war story narrative that works on oh, oh my god it's a beautiful game like oh my god oh, is yeah. this one of the most beautiful <laughs> and wonderfully games. scored yes the music oh god, i yes. mean I, I i regularly turn off the music for games but not for this one uh the score is outstanding the map oh my i, I, mean, I tweeted how much that the map just spoke to the the lore nerd inside me i mean, I, I read <laughs> i read every single detail for all these little provinces and i have no idea if i'm ever going to see any of them if they're being held back for a sequel or a prequel but i studied that map i read about all these little places and i'm probably going to go back and read them again i really love and it's not a map you actually end up using a lot early on in the game maybe later i don't <laughs> At this point, it's not something I refer to very often. Mm-hmm. It's not like I have to plan where my armies are going. They, they go where the story takes them. Um, but I just love looking at the map, and I love even just the very simple animation of the 
caravan moving along a road. At first, it struck me as a little bit silly. I thought about that that that, that mountain climber guy and, 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 and the Price is Right, like your old lady, your old lady, just moving slowly up the hill, and then this, oh, he's gonna fall off. But no, he didn't. And but I just love that now. I've, I I love that little trudging motion. Uh, I love the the sense of, and that little counter as your supplies go down. How long have I been on the road? How many days of supplies do I have left? Am I get going to get that tension of, will I get to a city soon where I can buy supplies? Will I get to a city soon where I can buy supplies? And just these, and it's so in your face and clear, but discreet. Just these beautiful yellow numbers on a brown background. Uh, it is one of the most aesthetically pleasing games I've probably played in the last five years. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it definitely is, you know, sort of a testament to how good elements like that how how good you know enha- game enhancement type elements you know art sound uh music if you can you know if you have the talent uh for it and you have you have the people who can really knock that out of the park it can make a simpler a fundamentally simpler design and maybe even arguably a slightly shallower design uh feel much richer and become yeah. much more interesting than games that maybe have a far more intensive design. And this is, you know, this is this is this is a game that, you know, I think if it didn't look quite so good, I'd probably be like, okay, yeah, it's it's a tactical RPG and that's never really been one of my favorite genres. I, you know, I I'm I'm the rare guy who didn't didn't really like King's Bounty all that much. I thought it was okay. Uh, but it's it's never been one of my favorites. And so games like this are not necessarily in my wheelhouse, but this was just such a delightful world to spend time in that I found myself sort of launching into it every chance I got. And I suspect once I'm finished with it, I'm going to restart so I can take what I've learned about being a commander and try to do this better. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's something I was very tempted to do the minute I finished the game. I wanted to go back and play again and just sort of see all of my favorite places again. Almost a sightseeing little, you know, <laughs> excursion. Obviously do do better gameplay wise as well. But God, every every time I, I went by one of the, the godstones, you've it, yeah. yeah. they're you know, it's not a spoiler, I don't think. You encounter those but very they're, early. They're, yeah, they're these huge monumental structures. Yeah, it's just utterly, utterly beautiful. And the they way they're colored, the way they're chiseled into expressed. them, and yeah, no, really it's kind of incredible. <laughs> and it turns out you can tell an awful lot about a world just by having a good enough backdrop. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I I think for me, it's you know, I have to give this game a high recommendation. I can see the flaws, but I just end up in a place where I just don't necessarily weight them that heavily compared to the experience I'm having. Uh, you know, just you know, like six hours in. I feel I've been more than rewarded for my time with it, and I'm looking forward to doing all this again. And uh, I'm really excited that, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to complete their idea of this being a trilogy. Not necessarily the story being a trilogy, but sort of maybe perhaps more of a triptych-type configuration for, you know, telling this, the saga of this world. Uh, but I'm, I'm really eager for more of this, and, you know, maybe even hopefully one that's, uh, you know, even more refined. Absolutely. I mean, we, Poly, at Polygon, we gave it an 8 out of 10, and we, I, I adored the game, obviously. Uh, my only reservation with it at all was that 
actually, it's so, the story itself is sort of so epic, and you meet so many characters that sort of the writing, you know, they're almost trying to do an entire season of, like, I guess a good comparison would be, like, they're trying to tell the story of, of a season of Game of Thrones within a very short amount of time, and half of that is spent in battle, actually, you know, in, in terms of the gameplay. And that the writing just kind of can't support that weight entirely successfully throughout this. That the world itself and the characters yeah. themselves are more interesting than sort of the story that's as it sort of presented. But I don't think that's a serious enough knock to not want to be a part of this world and sort of enjoy what it has to offer. Yeah, it's not perfect by any means. I'm not sure it's going to be on my... But it is a game that it is... You're really missing something if you don't take a look at it. I kind of wish they had a demo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that would have like the first chapter or first chapter and a half to give people a taste of what this is about. I think that's what some people should try out, but not necessarily have to come commit to, uh, because it will. Some people will find things a little bit weird or arbitrary or stupid, and that <laughs> stupid turn thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. But it is. I think it is an experience that you. Um, if you're serious about, not to say serious about games, but if you want to see a new world, but it's not really necessarily all that new. It, it's a new world you already recognize. How's that? Yeah. It's, set, it's very familiar settings. It has some familiar tropes. Um, it is, you know, just low magic fantasy Viking world. Um, so you already recognize they're not going to introduce you a whole lot of new things and a whole lot, not a whole lot of new made up words or anything, but <laughs> it is a unique place. It is a unique setting, even though it does borrow heavily from Norse myth and um, Vulcan and Klingon warrior culture. Absolutely. Uh, it It is a unique place uh, in the gaming world that as it, it, it whatever this continent's called, I forget um, it, it, it is as real as rapture to me at this point. Yeah. Uh, it is as real to me as one of the great fictive worlds uh, in recent game history. Yeah. Well, I think we will leave it there. That's been the Banner Saga, and you can pick it up for $25 on Steam or 30 with the soundtrack. I kind of recommend grabbing the soundtrack, Dale. It's epic. Yeah. I know that word is thrown around. Here it's actually you know, appropriate. We, we've discovered it is appropriate. <laughs> well, this is a this is a legitimate true epic. It, is, yes. it tells a single unified story. They use we can use epic properly here. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week with hopefully another entry in our winter of wargaming. Uh, but until then, uh, thanks so much for joining us, Danielle. Thank you for having me. I had, I had a wonderful time. I appreciate it. Well, you must <laughs> review more strategy games so we can bring you back soon. I would love to. Let me see, let me see if I can get Arthur to approve that. <laughs> well, you guys didn't review Total War, Total War Rome 2, so, you know, what the hell's going on over there, Danielle? I mean, maybe I can do some homework, you know, bone up a little bit on my Total War and my uh, well, you know, Roman I'll history say someone such, needs to be. Someone needs know. to be. And if not if not now, then when? Must be exactly. you. Yeah. They, you guys will need a strategy person eventually. Absolutely. I'm not going to be stopped banging on doors saying, Paradox has stuff for you. <laughs> and good. And I'm glad. And that would be cool. Yeah. I, I'm... It would be fun to wear that hat, that particular Roman... Um, wh what did the gladiators wear upon their heads? Helmets. Okay. <laughs> well done, Troy. I didn't know if there was a special <laughs> term for it, but well, it depends on the type of gladiator. Okay. Some of them were Corinthian helms, and some of them weren't. 
I would like to wear that particular Corinthian helm then, perhaps. We'll, we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, my thanks to Michael Hermes for putting this episode together. And we'll be back next week. Until then, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Good night, all. Thanks, guys. Bye.